Good morning. Today we're going to be in Genesis 3. I am picking up from the strong message Josh gave last week. If you know my youngest daughter, Audrey, she has been in the mission field a few times. And on her travels, uh, she goes to different countries. And on one of those countries, just to show you how weird I am, I asked her uh, if she would acquire something for me. She went to Thailand. And I said, while you're in Thailand, I need you to bring me back a tie. Because I wanted a tie from the place of Thailand. So, today I'm wearing the tie that she brought with me. Okay, um, I'm going to kind of recap the very end of where Josh left off uh, so that we kind of know where we were and where we're going. So we're going to start in verse 8 in chapter 3. It says, and they, in reading in the English Standard Version, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Something we need to notice here is they heard the sound of him walking. That means they knew what that sounded like. Most likely, this was a custom of God to do, that he would walk in the cool of the day of the garden. And like petulant children, they hide themselves because of the sin that they committed. Verse 9 says, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Context clues would lead us to understand that God was accustomed to walking with Adam. Adam's not there. And so God says, where are you? Now, we know God, and God knows everything. He knows what happened. He knows exactly where they're hiding in the garden. But he asked him, where are you? Have you been there? Where you had been walking with the Lord, now you're hiding in sin? And the Holy Spirit says to you, where are you? That's where Adam and Eve were. The other thing we need to see here is God knows that it was Eve that took the fruit first. And then Adam. But who does he call first? He calls Adam. Because who's ultimately responsible for his household? The man. Where are you? God says. Adam replies, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, being God, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? As Josh put it last week, it's a wonder that God didn't just kill Adam 
and start again. But here it is, and God says, did you do this? God knows he did it. So why the question? Why does God ask him? God was giving Adam an opportunity to confess and repent. He doesn't do that. He blames God and he blames woman, but not himself. Let's continue. Verse 12, the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And we see God's patience. Then the Lord God goes down the line and he said to woman, What is this that you have done? Now, even if Eve didn't understand that God is supernatural in all of knowledge, she just heard her husband throw her under the bus. So why does God ask her, what have you done? The same reason. He's giving her an opportunity to confess and repent. She doesn't do as bad as Adam, but she skirts it. It says, the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Verse 14 says, the Lord God said to the serpent. God has no questions for Satan. He knows full well there's no redemption here. He doesn't say, did you do this? Why did you do this? No, he knows why he did it. He knows there's no reason other than he's evil. So he's not going to ask him. There's no redemption for Satan. No question given. And then begins, as we titled this, the curse, which really is a series of curses. Now, when you were a kid, and you were going to get in trouble, I don't know about your household, but if I was going to get in trouble, my mother would say to me, when your father gets home, right? So I had all day to dread when my father got home. And for me, the dreading all day was worse than the actual whipping. Because once the whipping was done, my rear end hurt, but I was all right. It was over. I had my punishment. No matter how much anxiety Eve and Adam had, they have no idea the magnification of punishment that is not only coming upon them, but the rest of us for history. God begins as they led him down the path, Adam to Eve to the serpent. God starts serpent, and we're going to go woman, and then man. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. You need to catch the wording here. Yes, the serpent is cursed above all, but now all livestock and beasts of the field are cursed along with him. The serpent ushered in curses for animal kind. He's the most cursed of all of them, but he brought it upon them. 
So the cow you see outside today is not how the cow was intended to be. So then he goes on and he says, On your belly you shall go. The dust from the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. On your belly you shall go means he wasn't on his belly. Right? I did a little research on this, and I find this fascinating, so I wanted to share it with you. Scientists at the University of Florida, uh, Francisca Leal and Martin Cohen, in October 20 of 26, published an article in Current Biology. NPR gave them an interview afterwards, and this is the information I took from that. They were studying pythons specifically, but all snakes generically. They have pinpointed the genetic process that caused snakes to lose their legs. What's more, they say the molecular man, machinery for leg development still persists in snakes after all this time. It simply turned off. Some snakes, such as pythons, retain tiny vestiges of legs in the form of two small bumps on either side of their pelvis. As co-author and I have trouble with that word geneticist, uh, a gene known as sonic hedgehog, that's right, is responsible for limb development. So some scientist somewhere played video games and said, I'm going to name this gene sonic hedgehog and left out the the for those of you that that bothers. Um, so here's this gene, and he goes on to explain that in limbed vertebrates, this gene controls the development of many organs, not just arms and legs. DNA regulatory sequences called enhancers control the way these genes switch on and off for specific body parts. Without an enhancer for limbs, the sonic hedgehog gene could not make them fully developed. Now watch this. The researchers found that several sections of DNA in that enhancer were deleted. At some point, in the Python evolution. They don't know why it was deleted. They don't know how it was deleted or who deleted it, but we do. God is the architect of creation. If he's going to say, you're going to go on your belly, I'm going to remove the DNA that produces your legs. What I love about this is it's a secular study. They're proving the point and they're not even meaning to. So, snake slithers, right? God gave him the first of his curse. And then he starts to talk to two beings. He's talking to the serpent as the creature, and he's talking to Satan, okay? Okay? He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Enmity is the state of feeling of being actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. So if you think hostile or opposed to, that's what that is. And between your offspring and her offspring. I was reading in a book, it's called Boney and Claude. That's how he describes 
Adam and Eve. It's a story of Adam and Eve. Written by Gene Williams. And Gene did a survey with women on if he put a rat in their bedroom and a rattlesnake, which one would they want to remove? Of course, the answer was both of them. But if he said you had to choose one, which one would you keep? And they said the rat. I asked the same thing with my wife. She made the point the rat could kill, I mean the rattlesnake could kill me. So I asked her, what if we had a mouse and a grass snake? Which one would you rather be in your bedroom? She chose the mouse. My neighbor will kill any snake, regardless of what kind of snake it is. If he sees a snake, he's killing that dude. We as people have an innate uh, aggression towards snake. Now, does everybody kill snakes? No. Do all women hate snakes? No. But it's so abnormal for a woman to love a snake, if you guys will remember when the circus came to town, there would be a snake lady. It was a show. It was so abnormal for a woman to have a snake crawling all over her that people came to see that. They're opposed to each other. The woman and the snake. Okay. Then he says, in between your offspring and her offspring. Now I told you there was a second conversation being had here. When God is talking between your offspring and her offspring, yes, he's talking serpent kind and women past the generations, but he's also talking to Satan about his spiritual children. And unfortunately, if you don't know the Lord, you are Satan's spiritual children. You are his offspring. Children of wrath is what the Bible calls us before we know the Lord. So he points out there's going to be posing between your offspring, the world, and her offspring. Now pay close attention to what I'm saying here. There has only been one person in history that didn't come from man's seed. Only one. There's only been one, no matter if it's test tube or whatever it is, there's only one that was formed of a virgin, in a virgin, in birth. So when God is telling Satan, you're going to be opposing your spiritual children, the world, you're going to be opposing someone that the woman produces. Not of man. Jesus Christ. We look at that, we go, okay, watch this next verse, because God makes it clear. Look at the first word. He shall bruise your head. Follow it. And you shall bruise his heel. This is God Father prophesying for his son to die on the cross, and Satan 
to bruise his heel. Isaiah says he was bruised for our transgressions. And he's given Satan bad news here. He's going to bruise your head. When Jesus died, my opinion is Satan really thought he did it. He'd been trying to for years. As I studied through this, you can see years and years of him killing boys, mass killings of boys, trying to kill that seed that God had told him was coming. And Jesus dies. Uh-oh. What happens? He rises again. And now... Satan's head is bruised. He's lost the power. He's lost the power of death. So Satan, his power was death. Reveled in it. Jesus has taken that away from him. And now his head is bruised. In martial arts, we have this most would agree, is a mythical technique. It's called the dim mock or death touch. The death touch is basically where you can perform a hit in a certain way on a person. It doesn't leave a mark on the body, but inside it ruptures their heart. I'm not going to talk to the validity of this. I'm just going to tell you that that's something that goes through the community. So this death touch is what was delivered to Satan when Jesus rose again. His days are numbered. He's still walking around, but inevitably he will burn in the lake of fire. It is done. He no longer has the power of death. His head is bruised. All right. God gives that information and if there's any question to who he was talking to, the Bible throughout talks about Satan being the serpent. Two of those, Revelations 12.9 says, the So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan. Revelations 22, He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. And then you see where, when he talks about the enmity between offspring. The best way or the best visual for this is Matthew 3, 7. It says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees talking about Jesus and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Jesus knew whose children they were called them vipers. What I like in the Bible is anything that shows God's sovereignty. Most of the time, it's a grand statement of his sovereignty. But sometimes there's just little bits in there. I want you to think a moment. If you were Satan, and you just caused the downfall or help cause the downfall of humankind, would you have stayed around in the garden? No. You would have done what you did, and you got out of there. 
right? It says, he said to the serpent, meaning Satan's not in control here. You understand? It's not like Satan did this and God didn't know it was going to happen and God went, oh, what do I do now? God knew it before. Before the beginning. He knew. And so he moves on to woman. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Now throughout all of this I want you to see that in every curse, in everything, consequently in every word of the Bible, God has a point to what he's doing. He's not just throwing a curse out there because he thinks, ah, I'm going to give you pain in childbirth. It didn't just come to him. Ah, 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 yeah. There's a reason for it. The reason here, who birthed sin? Adam may be held responsible because he's the leader of the house, but the person who birthed sin was Eve. She brought it into the world. Before Adam ate, sin was there. It happened when she disobeyed. God says it's a reminder that not only did you bring sin into the world, every child that will be born now is born into sin. They're children of wrath. It is your reminder. He's not finished with the woman. He says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Some versions say, your desire shall be for your husband. The meaning is the same. But he shall rule over you. Why did he give her this curse? Think about why she was created. God saw that man needed a helpmate. He needed a companion. It's not good for man to be alone. He took from Adam's rib. He formed woman. Adam said, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. My companion. She was created to help Adam do what? Serve God. So where is she when she's in the garden taking the fruit? She's not helping. She's leading. She took a position she was not created for and walked and took it and she changed the course of history. So God says, you stepped out of where I created you to be. You led your husband. You led the family down a road 
and didn't listen to me. So from now on, there will be conflict from you in a marriage. He's not talking to the man. He's talking to woman. He says you will have conflict. It won't be that you want to help him. You will want to lead him. You will want to lead him. Just to give you something a little lighter, I want you all to think today, ladies, in this last week, if you rode with your husband, and he was driving, did you help him drive? (laughs) Think about that for a minute. Where does that come from? Somehow he's able to get to work and back without your help. But when you're with him, he needs that. Right? That's a lighter note, but in the grand scheme of it, you're directing him how to drive. Right? Let me be clear here, and I want you to hear me with all the nonsense that's out there today. There is nothing in here that talks about not being equal. Nothing. What it talks about is why God created us. The purpose He gave us. The assignment we've been given by God. Not equal. It's about obedience to what He set before us. Ephesians 5.33 says, However, Let each one of you, talking about husbands, love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. I put that in there because it doesn't tell the wife that she needs to love her husband. It tells her she needs to respect him. Why? Because she was created to help him. If I ask Garrett to come help me move this, Is he my servant? No. He's my helper. He has the option to say, no, I'm not helping you do that. In this world, they've mixed up everything. They've changed it and corrupted it to go, well, if you're a helper, then you're a servant. It's wrong. You were made to make the man who he needs to be. I was reading where one woman asked, well, what if I'm smarter than my husband? The question is, why shouldn't I lead? The answer was given, if you're that smart, then figure out a way to help him lead. Because that's what we were assigned. Not by man, not by me, by God. Now we get to man. Look at the first thing he asked Adam in verse 17. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Don't miss this. He's not blaming Eve. He's saying to man, I created you to lead. And what did you do? You stood back there. And you waited. You didn't go, hey babe, we don't really know this serpent. Maybe you shouldn't take that. Hey, we got all this other fruit. Why don't we do that? He said nothing. He did nothing. God's 
saying to him, I created you to do this role, and you stepped out, not even doing the helper role. He's just being. Guys, let me tell you, if you look at sitcoms today and through pretty much history, sitcoms in our world portray the man as what? An idiot. You don't see a sitcom with a guy that knows what he's doing, that leads his house, that got his, got his things together. You don't see that. He's always messing something up. A great example is Everybody Loves Raymond. I think it's a hilarious show, but it is quintessential that he is the mess up and she has to fix his problems and lead the family. Why is this something that they would even put on the sitcom? Why? Because, unfortunately, it can be a reality. Somewhere along the lines, guys got to thinking, all my job is, is to work and provide a paycheck. After I do that, my job is done. I'd probably say that was in my dad's generation. Because besides work on cars, that's all my dad did. My mom got up 5, 5.30 every morning, fixed his breakfast, fixed his lunch. When he came home to dinner, she had it ready. Every day of my growing up. I never saw him pick up the house. I think he would mow. But somewhere along the way, he had an idea of what a man should do. God sees things a little different. In the same chapter in Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You get that? Christ, what did he do? He died for us. There is nothing that he did not give us. And God is saying, man, I made you to be like this. What does that mean for us? It means that we not only provide a paycheck, we provide spiritual guidance to our home. It's your job. I'm going to say that again. It's your job. As she sung today about first things first, God created the family. God at the head, man learning from God, leading wife, and they raise their kids together. That's how it should be. But what happens when the man doesn't take time to know what God's saying? How can I lead my family if I don't take time to read the Word and Him guide me? I can't, correctly. I can't. You are to provide spiritual guidance, provide protection, provide security, provide help. It's not only her kids, it's your kids. It's not only her house, it's your house. I get it. Long day of work. All you want to do is watch the game. 
But at the end of the day, don't you have more energy than you thought you did? At the end of the day, couldn't you do more? See, the women thought I was just picking on them until I got to you guys. So, right out of the gate, he says, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Notice how specific God is. You followed her, and you didn't follow me. Your job was to be taking cues from me. And instead, you just stood back, saw what happened. goes on, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. In Genesis 2.6, it talks about in the garden, every good fruit grew in the garden. I want you to understand that. They didn't have to work for food. Adam and Eve walked around, I'll take this today, I'll take that. It was that easy to eat. But now God says, the ground is cursed because of you, man. Notice, when it came to woman, it was specific to woman and her relationship with man. When it came to man, it was all of the world. He is ultimately responsible. The ground itself was cursed. And for him to get food from it, he's going to have to work for it. Then he says, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. This is one that I hate the most. Here's my, I know you guys like me bring stuff. My friends in Texas sent this overnight to me. We have it. Yeah. These are called grass burrs. You don't grow them here, naturally. But in Texas, this is how this was the bane of my existence as a child. My parents didn't believe not to wear shoes in the house, so you would gather these goodies on your shoes, walk through the carpet, and then come through barefoot the next morning, and bingo, you got a winner. These didn't exist before the curse. And I will make sure they get dispatched. But you do have in Missouri this hedge apple tree. Right? The favorite of my lawnmower tires. What I wanted to say about the grass is I went, we used to have some that came in on a sand load around the volleyball court. And Wayne had his uh, bobcat and scooped up them so well that I couldn't find any for illustration. And I want to take that moment to thank everybody that helped two weeks ago. It was a great service, everybody being in the body, coming and work. And with many hands, we got a lot done. Uh, anyway, that's a side note. So, Hedge apple. I hate them. But this did not exist before the curse. Now, 
I want you to get the visual here and understand what I'm saying. If I increase the length of this, and I wrapped it around and around in a circle, and I made a crown with it, when Jesus died for our sins, He literally took the curse upon it. So there it is, thorns and thistles. And he says, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Then he goes on and he says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Why did that happen? God had promised them death. You eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, surely you will die. Here it is, buddy. Death. Now, it comes for you. And I want you to understand the gravity of this. Adam, in his arrogance, was putting himself equal with God. I will know good and evil. I will be like God. And God says, no, buddy. You're dirt. I formed you from dirt. You will go back to dirt. I think we forget that sometimes. That we are the created and not the creator. He's reminding Adam of who he is. I want to touch just one more deal on husbands and wives before I go on, because I think I should. I don't think you can hit this without, or at least I can. If you're out there today and you're struggling with your marriage, I'll say this. It all comes down at the root of everything. 99% of the time, it's selfishness on both parts. It was selfish for Eve to go, I like the look of this. I'm going to eat it. It was selfish for Adam to go, I don't want to get involved. If you're struggling, it might be that you're not where God would have you be. And I would say this. Husbands, it says love your wives as Christ loved the church. What does that mean? It means... You do everything you can for her. You listen to her. You fill the needs that she has. I don't care if you're tired. I don't care if you have an excuse. I don't care what it is. God told you to do it. And wives, husband needs are simple. They're so simple, I don't have to tell you what they are. But I can tell you, that you can count them on one hand. If you were created as the helpmate to help your husband and you refuse to fill his needs, are you helping him? If you're struggling, try this for a month. Both of you, give to each other selflessly. What the, eat, what the other needs, you give them. What they ask you for, you do. Without complaint, without reservation, in love. Do it for a month and come see me.
I guarantee your marriage will be better. That's my marriage soapbox on the deal. All right. Now they've gotten, been given the curse, but it's not over. Verse 20, the man called his, his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Don't miss this either. There had never been a killing before. There had never been blood before. Because of their sin, blood was shed. And you got to think, as much as people like animals, Adam named them. They were in the garden. They knew those animals. They watched them be slaughtered, and God made them clothed. It began a series of sacrifice to cover sin. Until Jesus Christ was the ultimate sacrifice to cleanse our sin. So here we are for Adam and his wife, garments of skin, and clothe them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, talking about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. There's a problem now. Man is sinful. Can't live forever. Can't allow that. So, they get banished. It says, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. I want you to try to grasp this as best we can, which we really can't. But they were in paradise. Paradise. In 2.6, when it talks about every fruit that was good, that means they could have any fruit that from any part of anywhere and eat it any time. That's over. It would have been an environmental shock to them to walk out and step into a cursed world. My wife and I had the fortune to go to Scotland, most beautiful place I've ever seen. I didn't want to come back. But Scotland compared to paradise is a trash heap. And they went from paradise to a fallen world and now, Adam, you can't just go pick fruit around in a circle. You got to go work for it, buddy. With the skins that you're wearing. It says, in 24, he drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. 
don't know exactly what I, that would look like, but I guarantee you wouldn't want to go near it. A burning, flaming sword that turns in all directions would be a deterrent, to say the least, of going to the tree of life. And here, Victor, you won't know this, but when I get up, if I'm not paying attention, I involuntarily make a noise every time now. You're too young, won't experience that yet. But for me, I have noticed that I have to consciously say to myself, do not make a noise when you get up or sit down. Right? Why? I'm mortal. My body slowly aging. Before the fall, there was none of that. When they ate of the tree of life, their cells were regenerated. There was no creaking and cracking. People, I get injured sleeping. When I wake up in the morning, I, there's something wrong with me. It's because I slept a certain way. That didn't used to happen when I was Victor's age. I got up. I could sleep on both my arms. They'd be numb. I'd wave them. I was good to go. Those days are over. They were over for Adam and Eve. Imagine the shock of aging. Imagine the shock of growing old and dying. God told them it was coming. He did warn them, but they didn't listen. I love stories. And this one was a hard story. It's a story about judgment. It's a story about punishment. It's a story about banishment. But it's also a story about God's patience. It's a story about God's providence. And it's a story about God's plan. Because before Eve took that fruit, before God even said, let there be light, He had already made the decision to send His Son to prepare a way home for us. It was done before. God is never surprised. So much so that he gives Satan a little hint. Hey, buddy, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. If you take anything from today, take this. We are in a fallen world. We are in a cursed world. No matter what glint or glamour we can put on it, no matter how beautiful it is still, it is not what it was. But one day, one day, because of Jesus' sacrifice, we will go to a place that has no curse, where I don't moan when I get up. I've made a lot of decisions in my life. I've made Small decisions, and I've made big decisions like where am I going to live, where am I going to work, who am I going to marry, big decisions. 
but there has been no decision that I have made in my life that has been greater than accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. The reason for that is it's an eternal decision. You understand? Every other decision, every other decision you make in this world is temporary. Accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior is permanent. When I pass from this world, I will see Him. We always say if you're here today, because it makes sense, so I'm going to say it. If you're here today, and you haven't done that, you don't know what I'm talking about, you are still a child of wrath. Whether you want to believe that or not, if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a spiritual child of Satan. That's harsh, rough, but it's true. I have never made a better decision than to accept the Lord. Not one. If I died right now, security would be in a panic, but I'd be happy where I was. If you can't say that, you can come talk to me, you can come talk to Brian. I'd be happy to lead you to the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for these people. I thank you that you have set up the body, that you've set up family, that you've guided us in all things. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that has the doubt, that they'd have the courage to come and see us. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.